Hello friends, welcome to the Functional Nurse Practitioner Podcast. I'm a board-certified family nurse practitioner who specializes in women's health, utilizing both conventional and functional medicine strategies in order to provide a more comprehensive approach for optimal health. The current model of care in healthcare is very lacking, which led me down the road of functional medicine. Functional medicine is a systems biology approach which looks at uncovering the root cause for the symptoms we're having in order to allow for healing versus simply applying a Band-Aid to the situation. I believe we need an integrative approach of both conventional and functional medicine in order to provide the best care possible. I've been incorporating functional medicine practices within my gynecology practice and have seen phenomenal results. I believe we need to level up our healthcare system so women, all my ladies out there, can actually feel better. Just a quick disclaimer that this podcast is meant for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose or be a substitute for medical advice from your practitioner. Also, if you like what you hear on this show, I would be real appreciative if you would leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're listening from and subscribe to the show. Okay, on to today's episode. Today, we are continuing our conversation on altered intestinal permeability, aka leaky gut. Last week, we first defined what exactly is leaky gut. We talked about the lining of both the large and small intestine. We spoke of zonulin, the gatekeeper of the doorway. Remember, it's not actually a door, rather the mucosal barrier. We know that activating the zonulin pathway may perpetuate the passage of large, undigested proteins, bacteria, or any foreign substance into the circulatory system. So that means into our bloodstream. We spoke in depth about the triggers for intestinal permeability, the signs and symptoms related to this issue, and the downstream effects. Today we are diving deep, once again my friends, deep into testing and also management for altered intestinal permeability. I've said this before, but it bears repeating, There's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all, or at least there shouldn't be when it comes to our health. When we get to the management segment, I urge you to remember that for optimized health, for reversing chronic diseases, for putting our autoimmune conditions in remission, we need to have an individualized approach. There are many different management strategies, and I would urge you to not just grab one of those and run. It is vitally important to work with a seasoned practitioner that can help you uncover the root cause or causes of what is going on with you so you can actually feel better. Okay, let's talk testing. There are several different types of testing that's available looking for leaky gut. I have no affiliation, no financial connection with any of the lab testing companies I will be highlighting today. I also think it's important for you to know you don't necessarily have to undergo expensive functional testing. When we get to the management section, if you know me, you know we're going to first talk lifestyle and diet because those things dramatically impact our health quicker than any pill medication, supplement, 
When we get to that part of today's discussion, I will give you options for a management intervention strategy that does not require testing. Are you ready? I'm ready. I am well prepared for this episode. Kick back and relax. I think you are really going to enjoy this one. So, there are different approaches to laboratory testing. It can be something as simple as looking for zonulin. It can become much more in-depth looking at a comprehensive gastrointestinal stool analysis. There are different lab companies that offer intestinal permeability testing, and I will go over some of the different companies' pros and cons, limitations, and other considerations. I'm going to give you my top three labs to have done, and then a fourth that has a lot of literature behind it, but I don't think that one is the best one to use, but I will include it as well. Let's start first with a broader approach. I like this approach because it's also letting us know numerous other things that could be contributing to having altered intestinal permeability. So it's not just saying, yes, zonulin is activated, but maybe giving some clues as to why. In my opinion, the mother of all GI stool tests is offered by a company called Genova, and it's their comprehensive GI panel. This advanced stool analysis focuses on five key areas, maldigestion, inflammation, dysbiosis, metabolite imbalance, and infection. One of the things I really like about this test is the way in which the microbiome is categorized or organized. It shows abundance, dysbiosis, and balance. Each of these five areas are scored. The lower the number, the better. Therefore, the greater the number, the more concern for that area. As a practitioner, I really like the simplicity of this report. Wait, let me clarify something. This is not a simplistic test. Looking at the pages and pages of results will bring up lots of questions, and it can be very overwhelming. This is yet another reason why it is vitally important to work with a seasoned practitioner whenever you're doing any kind of lab work testing, especially functional testing, because it can be quite scary to see high numbers and have no idea what it means and what you're supposed to do about it. Genova uses a combination of several different things, including culture, PCR, and microscopic methods. That way, we're getting a better idea of what organisms we're dealing with. Genova is also able to recover live organisms. This is crucial when concerns for bacteria and yeast are there. This test also has the capacity to assess the interaction between the microbiome and the person the microbiome is living inside of. I think this is very cool. It also provides markers for inflammation. And I think this is crucial as a practitioner to see. Do we need to consider a referral? Is the calprotectin high, in which case we could be dealing with an autoimmune condition? What about SIG-A, secretory IgA? This is vitally important. It's a great marker to show what is our immune system up to. 
I know looking at my own results of having this test done were eye-opening. I also ran blood work on myself that came back, except for my autoimmune markers, came back normal. I would never have known that I had malabsorption and lots of other issues had I not done the stool analysis. I was very surprised that my secretory IgA was very high, like off the charts high, especially given my autoimmune situation. I would have imagined it was low. Too low or too high is obviously not in balance. With it being so high, my autoimmune system was on overdrive. I would have expected my inflammation to be high as well. My inflammation score was zero. I'm not going to go all into the biomarkers that this test can show because frankly, there is a lot. I did want to point out that the basic panel, of course, this is not a basic panel. It's a very comprehensive panel, but this comprehensive GI panel does not off the shelf include sonulin. So I do feel that needs to be added on if we're very concerned for intestinal permeability. I know all clinicians have their favorite tests and favorite labs. I've used other companies and have been, frankly, disappointed. I haven't used every other company, so keep that in mind. But I have been very impressed with this particular test. It is a rather expensive test, but it gives such an in-depth understanding of what's going on inside of our bodies. Cyrex, another functional lab testing company, offers many different functional tests. And while I have personally, I have not, at least at the time of recording this, used them, I am very impressed with what they offer. So impressed that I will be ordering several of their tests for myself and also for my patients. They offer an intestinal antigenic permeability screen called Array 2. This is a blood test, so that needs to be considered. It's also a very unique test that is a direct measurement of our gut barrier integrity. They look to antibodies, to markers, and proteins involved in our barrier system, like zonulin and also actomycin. They measure lipopolysaccharides, or antibodies to lipopolysaccharides, to be more specific. Remember from last week, lipopolysaccharides are endotoxins, and we do not want these hanging around in our bloodstream. And depending on exactly what we're making antibodies against, it can help to steer our management strategy. As an example, if there's antibodies against lipopolysaccharides and also antibodies against actomycin, we may be looking at inflammation being the driving force. This is the only test of its kind that I know of that's really looking at all the components thus far, as discussed in the literature, that have a role with opening up this doorway, so to speak. This test is less expensive than Genova's GI comprehensive panel, and in my opinion, would be a better test if this is what we're trying to rule in or rule out, being altered intestinal permeability. Genova's test will tell us if zonulin is an issue, but it is definitely, it does not go as in-depth 
with the other factors that can open this doorway. There are other tests that Cyrex offers that can be a part of a bundle if there are concerns for intestinal permeability, where they're also looking at wheat and gluten reactivity and gluten-associated food sensitivities. One of the things I love about functional testing is that you can get very specific. You can also be broad, but you can get very specific with what you're looking for. And the testing has much more to offer than just getting a blood test for gluten, like I did. I did some basic markers for blood, and they came back negative. So I was told, I don't have any problems with gluten. Now I know that that is not true. While at the moment, I do not have celiac, I definitely have severe gluten sensitivity. So much so that aside from the horrific joint pain that I get, I also now get a rash. I was at an event last night, a catered event. I will say I do have some degree of food fear still, particularly when eating out. There were labels to go with all the foods, but no indicator for gluten-free. I asked one of the servers what on the table was gluten-free, told her that I am allergic. I have a strong intolerance, but I said allergic because frankly, I don't feel like anyone gets it, you know, understands that gluten intolerance is a real thing. She told me all but one of the dishes was gluten-free. I scanned the different foods, had a very hard time believing everything except one was gluten-free. I asked her specifically about the potato dish. They served these tater tots. Definitely not a fan of tater tots, but I was starving. So she told me they were gluten-free. I said, are you sure? She said she would go check. She came back and told me they were not gluten-free, but everything else was. At this point, my confidence was definitely decreased. I put together a very small plate, mostly veggies, fruit, a little hummus. I also took a scoop of the meat that they were serving, like a pulled pork. I didn't give much thought to it at the moment, like I normally do, to the fact that there was a sauce on it, that it was seasoned. About an hour or so later, I started to have really bad pain. It started in my head, but it also was throughout my body. My husband took one look at me and was like, let's go. I felt off the rest of the night, but I thought I was through the worst of it. I didn't have a rash, so I didn't really know what was going on. Today when I woke up, I felt like shit. I work out every day, and today, I tried to do some gentle stretches. I was on the floor. I actually started crying. Every part of my body hurt so bad. I also had this overwhelming feeling of sadness. I don't ever recall feeling this from a reaction to food. I felt wobbly, shaky, like I might fall over. I took a shower. I love showers. Warm water, soothing to the soul. I made my smoothie, adding in extra microgreens for the sulforaphane. 
I've been growing these radish and broccoli microgreens. Seriously, so good. It's been over six hours since I drank my smoothie. I still feel very wobbly. A friend of mine, she has celiac, and she uses the term glutened when something like this happens to her. My eyes were already open, but now they're open much wider. It shouldn't be this difficult, especially when we ask for the ingredients in a dish. Needless to say, I don't want anything catered for some time. We're able to test blood levels of zonulin. However, these of course can fluctuate like any blood level can. I am much more a fan of antibody testing for things like zonulin, lipopolysaccharides, actomycin. There is another test from the company Vibrant Wellness called Wheat Zoomer. This test looks at not only intestinal permeability, so you'll get a score for this, but also antibodies against gluten and other wheat antigens. This test provides much more info when considering non-gluten wheat sensitivity. It also shows antibodies to lipopolysaccharides. Wheat Zoomer shows reactions to specific antigens. It does also include zonulin and also antibodies to zonulin. I love that this test can really zero in on sensitivities. It also looks at actual allergy, so IgG antibodies. But what's very interesting and exciting about this specific test is that it's also looking to assess a person's sensitivity to certain antigens at the peptide level. This test offers TTG-DGP peptide fusion. This is a newer, earlier indication marker estimated to be able to diagnose celiac maybe even up to four years earlier than standard lab testing. I had a patient a couple of days ago. She was a new patient, new to the practice. She came in. She hadn't heard about the interesting things I'm doing over there in women's health involving functional medicine. She was just looking for answers. She told me she had been to doctor to doctor to doctor and no one had been listening to her. They told her she was fine, quote unquote, normal. There's nothing wrong with her. Maybe she's just anxious. Maybe she just needs to sleep more. Maybe it's just all in her head. When I hear something like that, it makes my blood boil. I actually get very fired up about it, and I have to compose myself because, hell, I just met this woman. She doesn't need to see me blow my steam, lose my cool. As it is, my ears turn red, so there's a tell, a telltale sign that I'm either really hyped up or stressed out or upset or something is going on when my ears are bright red. She told me I was the only practitioner she had been to that actually listened to her. This is not a stroke to my ego because this is my job. My job is to listen. My job is to guide, help, inform. It makes me so furious that conventional medicine is so lacking for empathy. 
that conventional medicine is devoid of understanding for what our patients actually go through. I've said this before. I am a patient. We are all patients to some degree at one time or another. We need to allow for time. Time for wellness, not just sickness. And we need to truly listen to uncover the root cause or causes so we can actually feel better. Another test is the lactulose mannitol test. This is probably the most extensively used test in relation to irritable bowel disease or irritable bowel syndrome. It's a urine test. It's a measurement of two non-metabolized sugars. It's a very easy test to take, obviously, because it does not require a phlebotomist. If this test is very high, it shows that there is intestinal inflammation and could mean increased intestinal permeability. This test is the least expensive of the tests I've already spoke about. I do not feel, however, it's the best option if we're looking for intestinal permeability, as it doesn't offer any additional information. It doesn't actually say for sure there is intestinal permeability. It just shows inflammation. Out of all of these tests, I'm definitely a fan of Genova's comprehensive GI panel with the addition of zonulin, particularly as it shows so much more than just the lining, or at least the gatekeeper to the lining. But if I was looking for a test that was going to be able to tell me as much information as possible with as little financial investment as possible, I would go for the wheat zoomer. I could continue talking about other types of labs and testing because there are numerous others, but for now, I will leave it with these. Just know that there are different criteria for each of these tests, where like the GI panel from Genova, you might need a month before you actually partake in the collection for the prep because there's different components that have to be factored in, like if you're on certain medications or if you've been on antibiotics, versus something like the Array 2, which has no test prep. These also require different methods of collection, from stool to urine to blood. That might be a factor for consideration if you are the provider ordering it or if you are the patient requesting it. Now, let's talk management strategies. I'm using the word strategies because I do not believe proper management utilizes only one approach. Our approach does, of course, have much to do with why we have altered intestinal permeability in the first place. If we had a comprehensive GI panel with the add-on of zonulin, and we see zonulin is elevated, we know we're most likely dealing with altered intestinal permeability. If we also see we have a dramatic reduction of our microbiome, if we do not have a healthy commensal microbiota that speaks volumes as well. Remember we said last week that our microbiome serves as a protection for our barrier. If we see that we have undetectable levels of acromancia, the microbe that greatly impacts our mucosal layer 
that also speaks volumes. If we have an overabundance of pathogenic species, like let's say E. coli or Klebsiella, or we have parasites, that also speaks volumes. Having a better understanding of what's happening inside of our gut can help steer the management more effectively. In functional medicine, we follow a 5R approach. Remove, replace, re-inoculate, repair, rebalance. It's not as simple as just having a list of guidelines to follow, so you can just repair this on your own. It is much more complex than this. I urge you to work with a functional medicine practitioner so you can have a personalized 5R approach. Another key thing to consider is that this may just, it may not just be altered intestinal permeability. You might have something called a red flag, which means that you might require a more acute management, at least for the time being. I do believe for optimal health, a merging of conventional and functional medicine may work best. This is the way I practice medicine. This is how I have seen numerous successes. Some cases are going to require actual pharmaceutical drugs, even if for a short time. Let's turn our attention now to managing altered intestinal permeability. If we have done adequate testing and have a thorough of understanding of what is going on, meaning complete history, physical exam, then hopefully we have a better idea of why there is altered intestinal permeability in the first place. If testing showed that we have wheat sensitivities, pulling wheat from the diet may be enough. Let me rephrase that. Pulling wheat from the diet may be what's necessary to not continually contribute to opening the doorway of our mucosal layer. Working on increasing our intake of plants, as I've said before, plants provide a plethora of benefits, many of which come from their polyphenol content. I am a big fan of at least a 50-50 plate. I'm usually more of a 75-25, where 75% of my plate is plants, and the rest is comprised of some type of carbohydrate and protein. I do prioritize protein. We need around 30 grams per meal, aiming for 100 grams per day. We all have different protein needs, but I find it simpler to at least aim for 100 grams. Many of my patients are barely getting 20 grams per day, but most of us are also not eating the rainbow. All of the colorful, phyto-rich vegetables and fruits, consuming them on a daily basis, having variety. It is not only helpful for our intestinal barrier, but for many other parts of our health, like hormonal health, heart health, our nervous system, our mental health. Making sure we're getting adequate sleep of at least six hours, preferably seven or eight on a daily basis with special attention 
to our circadian rhythm, meaning that we go to bed roughly the same time every day and wake up the same time every day. This might seem mundane, but trust me, guys, it makes a dramatic difference for our health and for our gut. One really poor night of sleep could affect the tight junctions, causing bacteria, toxins, and proteins to get into our circulatory system. I know if I don't sleep well, if I don't prioritize a sleep routine with going to bed at the same time, I don't feel great. Sometimes for days afterwards, I've woken up with such bad joint pain that it was, it was difficult for me to step down with my foot on the floor to get out of bed. The pain shooting up my legs was unbearable. I've had very swollen lymph nodes, particularly popliteal lymph nodes. Those are the ones that are right behind your knee from staying up too late. Yes, I have known autoimmunity, and maybe this does change things for me. I have to be a bit more vigilant. But if we have poor sleep, we know this can cause leaky gut. And leaky gut can cause a myriad of issues. I would rather just sleep. Make sure I get good sleep and avoid any unpleasantries. Another key component is adequate self-care. I'm actually a fan of prioritizing self-care. I mentioned Dr. Terry Walls last week. She is such a wonderful woman functional medicine doctor, inspirational woman. She practices self-care two and a half hours a day. While I don't typically spend two and a half hours a day on self-care, I do make sure I spend at least 30 minutes a day. I try to get in 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes spread out throughout the day. I typically will spend about 30 minutes in the morning. I really like to work out in the morning. This workout that I do, it's not necessarily HIIT workouts, very extreme body jumping stress on my body. Sometimes it's just gentle movement. I've tried to implement a schedule though. At first it was difficult because I found some of the things I was doing was rather boring, like strength training. I now have grown to love my strength training days. One, I can correlate that I've gotten a lot stronger, like a lot stronger since really focusing on this. It has been very empowering. I like feeling strong. I actually find that strength training does not require the same degree of energy as burpees and HIIT workouts. I do love a good HIIT workout but not every day. I spoke about this in episode five, what's the deal with sugar, but paying close attention to what I'm actually consuming, what I'm putting into my body makes a dramatic difference with the way that I feel and dramatically influences my gut permeability. If we become more in tune with ourselves and with our bodies, we can 
actually feel a shift. If we eat something high in sugar or refined carbohydrates and feel what it does to our bodies. Not only do I end up with a horrific headache and joint pain and moodiness and increased anxiety, but overall, I just don't feel good. I don't want to increase the risks that come along with opening that doorway either. Another thing I practice regularly is positive thinking. This was especially hard for me because frankly, I felt somewhat ridiculous to tell myself, everything's just fine, I'm loved, and all is right with the world. I didn't really believe it. What I realized is, it's okay if I don't fully believe it. What's important is telling myself, affirming with myself that I am, that I am okay. My words, my thoughts, my microbiome can hear them, as can yours. Since I've been practicing this, I have seen a shift with my mindset. I have seen a shift like an inner peace that, you know, I'm, I'm 48 years old and I've not experienced this before. I've spent most of my life on edge with almost like a tightness in my chest for, oh, great. What's going to come at me now? What do I need to prepare for? Since I've been practicing this, a lot of that is gone. I wouldn't have believed that was possible. This is how powerful our minds are. That's pretty miraculous, isn't it? If you think about it, that's like mind-blowing. We have the capacity to dramatically change our lives based on our thoughts. Knowing that my negative thoughts can open up that door of my mucosal barrier, I want to do everything possible to be positive. We spoke about exercise last week, and strenuous exercise can be a trigger for altered intestinal permeability, but moderate exercise can preserve the mucosal layer. Another reason why I definitely believe we need to move our bodies. A low FODMAP diet may be necessary, depending on what the etiology of the altered intestinal permeability is. FODMAP stands for fermentable oligodimonosaccharides and polyols, and they represent certain types of carbohydrates that can cause GI issues. A few examples of foods that would be considered a high FODMAP are dairy, certain vegetables like asparagus, broccoli, cabbage, legumes like beans, lentils, chickpeas, fruits like apples, mango, pear, honey, and sugar alcohols. If you've ever been on a low FODMAP diet, or if you're considering a low FODMAP diet, I urge you again to work with a skilled practitioner. Food fear is a real thing. I've had many patients come to me with food fear, and it's not a great place to be. This does not mean we cannot consume these foods ever again. 
it may just mean we need a rest. Speaking of which, I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we don't always have to do testing. What if you don't want to drop a couple of hundred or $500 or more to try to figure this out? I do believe it's beneficial to do the testing, but what can we do in the meantime? A comprehensive elimination diet can be very helpful. Taking out the most common triggers for issues can be a very therapeutic experience for our gut. I recommend this at least four weeks, preferably six weeks, and then a very slow reintroduction. An elimination diet is not the same as an autoimmune paleo diet. Autoimmune paleo diet is more restrictive, but it may be necessary. Figuring out what the best approach for you is should involve a discussion between you and your practitioner with, of course, you in the driver's seat because you're the one that's going through this. You are the one looking for answers to help your body. Most of the time, these diets... They're used only short-term. There are some people that may not be a good candidate for an elimination diet. I'm not going to get too far into that today. It's not the topic of today's show. But if you have a history with disordered eating, this may not be the best approach. Any type of food restriction may be a severe trigger for you. And if we're having a trigger, our brain is impacted. Remember, there's a gut-brain connection. We may end up with worse intestinal permeability because of our thoughts and feelings surrounding a restrictive diet. Although I do not believe in cookie-cutter protocols, I will leave you with some clinical pearls in terms of our intestinal lining, the mucosa layer, and important amino acids, herbs, supplements that can make a dramatic difference. This is of the mindset that you have already removed triggering causes of the altered intestinal permeability. You can take all of the supplements you want, but if you have a sensitivity to a certain food and you continue eating that food, you're not actually going to get better until removing that food. Probiotics like bifidobacterium or acromantia can be very helpful. I mentioned this last week that I took an acromancia supplement for three months because I saw undetectable levels on my GI panel. Simply taking a probiotic is not enough though. Probiotics are, they're more like placeholders than actually taking over your microbiome. They can help dramatically with symptoms while we're working on repairing the intestinal lining. Swimming upstream, focusing on the root cause of why you have altered intestinal permeability to begin with. I removed gluten from my diet, and I've been focusing on stress management techniques, also prioritizing my sleep. I consume red polyphenols on a daily basis because I know acromancia prefers them. Glucosamine Berberine, curcumin, curcumin, the anti-inflammatory component found in turmeric. I love turmeric. 
If you haven't checked out episode four, The Benefit of Spices, you should. Spices can be very, very healing, particularly with relation to our gut. Peppermint oil, marshmallow root, not to be confused with marshmallows. (laughs) Vitamin D. Vitamin D has so many important functions, and I test a lot in my practice for vitamin D. Most of us are deficient, or at least not optimal. This is another frustrating aspect of healthcare. If we fall within the normal range, we're good. But are we? Are we optimal? Vitamin A, omega-3 supplements. Are you getting enough omega-3s on a regular basis? I eat fish and put chia seeds, flax, and hemp seeds in my smoothie. I take an omega-3 supplement. I do often recommend omega-3 supplements for my patients, definitely with my vegetarian and vegan patients, but for most of my patients. Slippery elm, glutathione, and acetylcysteine, just to name a few, can be an integral part of the management of altered intestinal permeability. These are suggestions for possible supplements that could be beneficial. This is not me urging you to go out and buy all of these supplements and start taking them. Supplements can actually, they can interact with medications we're already taking. Some of them can cause major issues for our body, particularly if we're battling with some sort of inflammation or chronic disease. I do feel that if we opted for testing, retesting can be helpful. I do think surveillance can be very beneficial, particularly when dealing with autoimmunity. I will repeat my GI panel in the future to see where I stand, since I've made such dramatic changes. Of course, we could just go by how we feel. Do you feel better? I don't force my patients to retest. Well, of course I don't. But I offer to retest and see what they think about it. Sometimes, the peace of mind, knowing things are improving, can be very soothing. This road, this journey, towards better health, it's continuous. We're not perfect. We can try to be perfect and still get glutened. I don't believe that we're doomed. Doomed if we backslide and then reopen this mucosal barrier, Our bodies are pretty amazing. We are wired to survive. If we're practicing self-care, if we're fueling our bodies with quality foods rich in antioxidants and anti-inflammatory compounds, if we prioritize sleep, if we're nice to ourselves, if we have compassion and love for ourselves, we can heal. And on that note, I hope you enjoyed this episode and this this two-part series, Diving Deep into Intestinal Permeability. I appreciate each and every one of you for coming to this podcast and continuing to come back. I love you guys. If you haven't already, follow me on Instagram at The Functional Nurse Practitioner. 
and I will see you very soon. Bye guys.